Good morning, listeners. This is Citizen U, a forum for exploring local government and related issues in depth and to increase your civic literacy, and with that, your ability to effectively engage in decisions affecting our communities. I'm your first Wednesday of the month host, Supervisor Dan Jurdy. Uh, the third Wednesday of the month host is Ukiah City Council Member and Mayor Mari Roden. On many of our episodes of Citizen U, I've tried to highlight uh, nonprofits in our community that make our communities stronger and expand this, uh, our quality of life, improve our quality of life. And today I want to focus on one of the nonprofits in our community that has probably as many volunteers as any of them has. Uh, has quite a few volunteers, over 100, and uh, is, uh, provides a public space that is really kind of magical. It's one of the happiest places in Mendocino County, and that's the Mendocino Coast Botanical Gardens. Today on, on air, we're going to have um, a, a board member, a volunteer, Jean Mann, from Fort Bragg and Jean, uh, are you uh, Jean? Can you say hi? Well, good morning. Good chilly morning, actually. Right? Yeah. Good morning. Yeah. It's nice to be here. And, and later in the show, we're also going to have a, a, a tour that I recorded with the director of the Medicine Coast Botanical Gardens and your your chief uh, gardener. But before we go to that tour, I wanted. I wanted us to uh, first hear your work as a community member and how you first got involved as a volunteer at the Mendocino Coast Botanical Gardens. Oh, thanks, Dan. Yeah, I had uh, had a really good friend who was on the board at the gardens, and when I first moved here, um, of course, being a budding gardener, I, I went to the botanical gardens and fell in love with it. So when my friend suggested that I look into being on the board and also do more volunteering there, um, I did so and met some terrific people and um, got hooked even more on being able to be at the gardens and uh, enjoy how beautiful it is. I, I really believe um, in the gardens mission. Uh, which is uh, really to engage in enriched lives um, with all these wonderful plants and keeping that in harmony with the uh, Northern California coast. Um, and, of course, to preserve uh, access to the coast. So that's been my, uh, my way of getting hooked, and I am working as a volunteer there now as well as being on the board. And I, I imagine most listeners have visited the gardens at least once, uh, but for those who haven't, let's just place where the gardens is in their mind. So it's it's about two miles south of Fort Bragg city limits. It's on the west side of Highway 1, and it's 47 acres that take you from Highway 1 through a cultivated garden into a more natural garden and then uh, to the Ocean Bluff. And so uh, that's just a it's sort of physical location. Gene, um, uh, and when did you first get involved in the gardens? Uh, well, probably 1991 when I moved here, but as far as that was just being a visitor, um, I've been on the board for four years and have been volunteering longer than that. So I'm, I'm kind of a newcomer to the board, um, but, uh, but have been a long-time member of the gardens and have enjoyed it uh, very much for a lot of years. Um, there, there are so many um, volunteer opportunities there that... 
um, a really a wonderful and a great way of being in the gardens and being with uh, like-minded people. It's great. So, Jean, we wanted to talk a little bit about some of the uh, advantages of community members um, volunteering at the gardens or being a member of the garden. And uh, can we just kind of run through some of the, the highlights if someone wanted to volunteer at the gardens or or be a member of the garden? Sure. Yeah, membership, there are about 3,100 members. Um, and, of course, a lot of advantages to membership, uh, not only access to events, but um, just uh, as an example, uh, a household membership for seniors is $70 for the year, while a non-member would be paying a $20 admission, um, $17 as a, as a senior admission. So that in itself starts out as, as being um, an advantage for membership uh, access also to all of the, more information about the special events. As far as volunteering, there are about 150 volunteers um, uh, at the gardens, which is pretty astounding considering the size of our community. Um, and uh, 80 or so members keep track of the number of hours that, uh, that they volunteer. Um, and uh, this last year, there were over 7,200 hours um, from those 81 members that we're tracking. Considering that there are 150, you could, you could almost double that as far as the number of hours and commitment for people. And, you know, it's interesting, too, um, it, it, the, the people that are volunteering aren't just gardeners uh, or people who are devoted into the gardening. I mean, there we have um, college students and forest service, service, service people and, and of course, uh, retired folks like me. And uh, we all come together to work in various um, opportunities, whether it be special events, um, Festival of Lights, Art in the Gardens, and some of the other special events, or out in the gardens themselves with pruning, um, weeding, uh, deadheading all the beautiful roadies, um, and uh, the vegetable garden, which I should mention, um, over 7,400 pounds of food were donated to the food bank last year that were grown there in the veggie garden. Um, and uh, the nursery, um, certainly helping with the nursery, that's where um, I help out. Um, I spend time uh, working uh, in the propagation area, which I brag about the fact that it's the only place in the garden that you can weed standing up. It's pretty nice for <laughs> having to get around on the ground. Um, and, of course, there is many of the plants, a good, a good uh, number of the plants that are being sold at the nursery come from the propagation or propagated right there at the gardens. Um, the, I should mention, too, in terms of volunteers in general, um, there's also a group called FOG, uh, which is uh, the Friends of the Garden. And that's a group of volunteers who work at special events and who uh, provide uh, food. Um, if, if any of you were at Festival of Lights um, and enjoyed some of the tasty things coming from the little cafe, 
Uh, those were all donated by members of the Friends of the Garden. Um, they also did the pack rat sale, which, of course, is one of the biggest, um, I don't know, sales, garage-type garage type sales on the coast. And just to throw out a number again, uh, fog started in 1999, and so it's been going on for a while. But they've raised over $600,000 uh, for the gardens. Um, they've been really helping a lot right now um, with some of the special projects. Uh, unfortunately, there was a theft at the garden, and uh, the FOG members donated the funding to replace the vehicle that was taken. And there's also been a lot of help with uh, trying to secure um, the gardens with fencing and, and so forth. So, in terms of the volunteer opportunities, I could go on and on, um, but <laughs> um, docent training, um, we have uh, a wonderful group of docents. I have taken the training, um, but I'm a little too chicken to get out there and do it on my own. So, I'm what you call a bud, which is a backup docent, um, and uh, the training is is terrific, um, I should mention. Um, and in March, there are going to be three days uh, where there will be docent training, finding out a lot of wonderful historical facts as well as information about the different parts of the garden. Uh, Jean, um, speaking, speaking of um, training opportunities, one of the training opportunities I understand is at the gardens is with University of California Extension, they have a master gardener program. Is that something that you could tell, talk a little bit about? Uh, it, it is a little bit less um, involved right now than it has been in the past. Um, the um, amount of leadership for the master gardening training has, has um, decreased somewhat. Um, but we have a number of um, board members as well as other members of the gardens who've been through the master gardener training, um, which uh, is extensive um, and very in-depth. Um, it's a, a great way of honing skills as well as providing information for, for gardeners. Um, the uh, docent training, um, you know, we have public tours at the gardens that are just walk-on tours on Thursdays, and those are all led by docents who give a tour and talk about the, the different plants, the different collections, um, and uh, his, historical information about the gardens. Okay, okay, uh, Jean, so uh, thanks for that introduction. Again, this is uh, Dan Jurdy, host of Citizen U on the first Wednesday of the month. I'm, we're, just, we're meeting with uh, Jean Mann. She's one of the many volunteers at the Mendocino Coast Botanical Gardens. And uh, we're going to take a little break and go to an audio tour. Uh, hopefully this works out um, with uh, the director of the botanical gardens and with the uh, lead uh, master gardener at the gardens and then we'll come back into the studio with Jean to um, talk some more about volunteer opportunities and, uh, on, at the gardens and maybe with other parks uh, throughout the whole county. Okay, I'm not hearing audio on that recording, so I'm going to um, ask uh, Rich, our engineer, to to um, help out with that.
so we're we're on the air, Gene. Uh, while the recording is um, while we're going trying to get the recording on air, but anyway, so Gene, we were talking about some volunteer opportunities with the gardens and the fact that there are are um, many th- events that take place at the gardens throughout the year where people can maybe plug into a specific event. It's you know it really there. It's not only. Um the events um, and working in the gardens, but there are other things that are clericals of nature too that 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 they need help with. We're going to be sending out uh, mailings to all the members, um, uh, thirty one hundred of them, as I mentioned, and uh, stuffing envelopes can be a really daunting task. <laughs> so. If anybody's interested in coming down and helping with that as well. Um, I I should mention, too, that we have a number of committees um, involved um, with the board members and also encourage uh, community members to join those. Um, I'm involved in the education committee, um, which uh, is helping to organize workshops and classes at the gardens. Uh, then anything ranging from photography to mushrooms to gardening itself. But the first workshop I attended at uh, the gardens was on composting. And I, I can still remember that um, they gave the example that there were um, two ways to turn compost. And one was um, by machine and the other was by teenager. <laughs> so. I have to say that some things from those workshops just stick in your brain for 30 years. Um, I really encourage people to go to the website and sign up for Bloom Blast uh, because that um, on the website uh, can give you an idea of what's going on, um, show you some pictures of what's happening, um, and uh, it's, uh, it's a really worthwhile opportunity to, to learn more about the gardens. Under education, too, um, all you retired and working teachers who would like to get involved in that, that committee, um, we have uh, an activity for children called Sprouts. And uh, there are self-guided activities um, uh, at the gardens with a backpack with all of the things that the, that, that the participant would need. Um, we've been uh, distributing uh, tickets admission tickets to the schools and uh, to the library to encourage students and their parents to come to the gardens. Um, and many of them have not had that opportunity. And I think once you've been there once, you're going to want to come back. Um, okay, Gene, okay, um, let's, yeah. let's, let's see if our audio tour uh, goes on the air now. Great. Um, we're with Molly Barker, the executive director, and Jamie Jensen, the uh, head of uh, gardening. Yes, and I'm um, glad to be on the show. And uh, I've been here about six and a half years, and Jamie's been here longer. Um, and I just love being here. I'm very lucky to have to be here. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it's a beautiful sunny day in January, which we sometimes get um, to enjoy the garden. And just as a, a orientation here, we walked through the entrance uh, with the 
it's the uh, visitor center. You've also got uh, Rody's Cafe, which is opening up in uh, again in mid-April. You're looking for a manager. Yes, we're we're going to be hopefully opening up right on time in mid-April. Um, we are looking for a day-to-day manager of the cafe. Anyone who's eaten here knows that we use some fresh produce from the vegetable garden, um, kind of original but uh, delicious food. And so we're going to keep it going. And Marie's going to help out where she can. Okay, and Jamie, then here we have the retail nursery. Um, yeah, so we're standing right next to the retail nursery, which is where all of the plants for sale are. And um, behind the guest parking lot, there is the propagation nursery, which is where we um, are propagating plants, starting them from seed or cuttings that will end up on the shelves in the retail nursery. And now the gardens are open pretty much year-round. Oh, definitely year-round. The only two days we take off our Thanksgiving and Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, we're here. And then what's your staffing and volunteer level? Um, well, we have 12 year-round people, more or less. Um, and then busy season, we increased uh, 24, about 24 people. Additional people in the cafe, nursery, store, uh, and so forth. And we have events that some people like to work at. And a number of volunteers? Um, yeah, we have uh, about 80 volunteers that come really regularly. Um, most of those volunteers work in the garden. There's volunteers in the garden almost every day of the week um, and many in the nursery as well. Um, and then about 150 that are also very regular, um, but uh, maybe come for one special event like Festival of Lights or Art in the Gardens and, and come help out with so one thing I was noticing in this front section is, um, again, lots of color here, even year-round, like now where you've got some um, evergreens. But then you also have plants that really seem to take off in the spring, one of them being the smoke bush. And one thing I've noticed over the years is you here at the gardens, you guys will really prune some of these plants back quite a bit. But then they come back really bright and vibrant. I can see the same plant, like a smoke bush in someone's yard in Fort Bragg and it looks kind of dull by comparison. Um, is that something that someone could learn just by observing how you um, handle the plants here? Sure, I think so. Um, you can see how hard we prune back the smoke bush, and that's really to keep its shape. It's sort of small and condensed shape. Um, the color also might have to do with the cultivar itself and the fact that in in the fall, in the late summer, when the smoke bush is really glowing, that really bright red, um, it's kind of backlit in this yes. garden yeah. and that really helps it to glow and i think the fresh foliage does too mm-hmm. yeah the, the, the perennial garden is really at its height in summer it's kind of the round august which is the same time the dahlias are flowing flowering the um, perennial garden's really peaking out then so here at the gardens do you get people who come in and ask you questions about the plants <laughs> because they're thinking of their own yard oh my gosh all the time <laughs> yeah Definitely all the time. Um, so I just went just to make sure that I got the cultivar of that smoke bush, which is Grace. Um, if anybody's interested, we do carry it in the nursery. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, I mean, we have so much variety here in the garden. So we really know um, which plants go do well in this climate. Yeah. And, and that's actually the mission um, here. And it was, you know, in his shaper, he knew he wanted to try to grow a lot of things here. And now it's actually part of our mission to conserve and display and educate about plants that do well here. So we're not interested in necessarily having things from South Africa just because they're from South Africa. We want them from South Africa so they grow, grow well on the coast. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So on the left is the Heath and Heather Garden, which is, um, I wouldn't say it's in full bloom, but a lot of the Heaths are in bloom right now, and they are just buzzing with bumblebees. And um, so that's a really special plant because it has this winter bloom. Um, this collection is a nationally acclaimed collection, and it will be going um, through some renovations coming up in the next year. Um, we got a grant from the Stanley Smith Horticultural Foundation for that. Thank you for that. Yes. Um, and um, so, and, and it just shows a great variety of ericas and kalunas, and it has this kind of rolling, yeah. sort of pastel colored beauty. Um, and then other, you know, other plants that we have, uh, banksias and grevilleas, a lot of them are from um, Australia. And then past that, we have, like you pointed out, the cactus and succulent garden, and uh, there's some Mediterranean garden over the hill here. Yeah, <laughs> past South, those plants. South American plants in the succulent garden, and then if you look like straight forward, even we're showing a, a cultivar of a native plant, the silk tassel tree or mm. the garia. Yeah, that one. Um, so there's a an actually a native plant in the scene, several native plants in the scene as well. So what, one thing I've heard from people who visited here from elsewhere is that they're surprised to see these succulents to, and to see some of these um, grevilleas and others that they think of as being in a hotter climate than this. And um, what's your response when people say they're surprised to see this in the Mendocino Coast Botanical Garden? Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> Our climate is really pretty gentle, you know, it's not, we, a lot of things can grow here and lushly and robust. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is a surprise to a lot of people because they do think of uh, cactus and succulents as maybe desert plants, and mm -hmm. but obviously they grow here well, and that's what we want to kind of show off. Well, I think of my earliest memories here, um, 20, 30, 40 years ago, was mostly rhododendrons, and so I think it's clear that the gardens have evolved over over time with different garden managers, different and probably board members on the botanical gardens and volunteers. We've had some people that were very, very strong in the eighties in developing collections. Mm -hmm. Uh, furthering the, the rhododendron collections, the camellia species collection, which Jamie mentioned, which is a little, un but that's very unusual because species um, are kind of the botanic backbone of camellias, but they're not the big flowery show-off flowers. So some people miss it, but it's a great collection. Yeah, most of the um, most of the camellias you see in gardens is Camellia hepponica, which is actually not the strongest camellia here on the coast. Mm -hmm. um, but there is a local camellia breeder, Dan Charvet, who has taken many different species of camellia and bred them to make many different cultivars that are just really all very unique and beautiful. And that's what we're showing here. So here we are in the woodland garden and we're starting to see some blooming rhododendrons. Yeah, um, this this rhododendron that we're standing in front of is big and pink and it's called Pink Delight and is consistently the first bloomer um it usually starts at the end of december that bloomer okay yes and actually there's a mural of that pink delight in downtown um portrait that we helped the apartment what what are you seeing here what i'm seeing is a huge variety of, of conifers some look like they're from other parts parts of europe some look like the parts from asia some from the americas yeah what what all are we looking at 
Well, we are seeing uh, the bigger trees, of course, have been here for quite a long time. And we decided a few years ago to renovate this area because the soil was incredibly acidic. So we did a, an idea, some brainstorming as to how to improve it. And we thought since we don't have a ton of room, we would put in a dwarf conifer collection as well so that the public could see that they can, they can grow conifers in their yard. They don't have to be 30 feet tall. Yeah, another um, really kind of amazing thing about this garden is all these big trees that came from all over the world. Um, they were really brought here by enthusiastic community members. Like that really is where the roots of the botanical garden always have been. People like um, Dan Charvet, who I mentioned with the camellias, and Peter Schick, who donated a lot of these really cool, unique conifers, um, helped build this garden. Yeah, yeah, it really... Um it's kind of the fun part, and it's interesting, too, because it wasn't as though it was a highly designed garden. It was more like, oh, I think this plant will do the best here, and that's where we're putting it. <laughs> and again, we're seeing, you know, larger conifers. We're also seeing, as I said, some dwarf conifers that would fit in, in pretty much any residential yard. Yeah, um, yeah. so the recent renovations in this area was part of the um, goal is to show how these smaller conifers can be used in a smaller landscape as well. So again, you you have a nursery, a retail nursery. Are some of these unusual dwarf conifers available in your nursery? Yes, and they generally come from uh, up in Oregon because propagating conifers is a very lengthy and difficult uh, process, but we, we get them from a nursery, so we, we have very um, unusual ones. We have people who are really into conifers who come and shop here for them. All right. All the conifers that you offer at the retail garden available year-round, or there are certain months of the year when they tend to show up? Remember, we're, is, we're offering people an inside view. Yeah, <laughs> inside view, when to get them. But um, I think the conifers, we sometimes get two orders, one in late winter, early spring, and one in late summer, early fall. So now might be the time to go check out the nursery. We're Not going, quite yet, but soon. Yes. Oh, for the conifers. But. <laughs> <laughs> we're also going to have a plant sale, which we haven't settled on Today, we're settling on the final date, but it'll probably be in April, and we just bring in even more plants then, and plants we've propagated. And members, there's a members' night only prior to it opening up to the public, so that's a 20% off night, and then during during the week, it's 10% off. So one more reason for someone to join the town gardens that's rather than just pay right. at the gate. That's absolutely right. I mean, becoming a member is uh, such a great deal. If you come, If you come as an individual or a family, four times a year you're paying for your membership and then you can come free and you don't need a reservation and one of the things that people really love is there's American Horticultural Society uh, reciprocal program so you can buy your membership here and then you can go down to Santa Barbara Botanic Garden Striving Arboretum or you can go back east to New York Botanical Garden and go in free and so that's a, a real um, a real benefit if you're a garden person. In fact, I know this sounds odd, but I just happened to be in Des Moines, Iowa a few years ago and went, saw they had a botanical gardens, walked in, showed them my card, and didn't pay anything because I was a member of the Mendocino Coast Botanical Gardens. That's right. It's a, it's a, it is a great thing. And like I said, it's, a, it's really a good value for seniors, for households, the whole deal. Uh, we're standing right in front of a big um, Magnolia Adult Sopa, which is... Uh, one of the first magnolias to bloom at this time of year, and its fragrance can sometimes travel all through the garden. Okay, and next to this magnolia, we're, uh, I guess, adjacent to a bog that's part of the woodland garden? 
Yeah, it is part of the woodland garden, and um, there's actually a lot of water in the ground here at the botanical gardens, and we have a whole series of um, drainage ditches, and they mostly all kind of come down to this spot. And all of that water and this bog is something that the birds, the local birds, really like, and they thrive in this garden. Um, one of the things that people can do to come and see the botanical gardens is hook up with the Audubon Society, who does uh, third Wednesdays. Well, yeah, they do the Wednesdays for people who've actually done it before. And then the first Saturday, uh, they do it for beginners who, like me, you know, are learning how to focus well and move to track the birds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, that's a good partnership with them, and, and they just love it. One of the things that I've learned that they love a lot is how we keep we don't necessarily take a whole tree out. We leave uh, trees, as long as they're not dangerous, as habitat for all kinds of things, not just birds, but animals and insects and what have you. Okay, so again, the Audubon Society for Beginners Tour, that Saturday morning pretty early, I think. Yeah, and, and actually there's a lot of experts that go on it too, you know, so you can really learn a lot. And it's free with admission. So if you're a member, it's free-free. But if you come as a guest... $15 to get in the gardens, but then you have the added benefit of uh, going on a bird walk. All right, well, now we've just left what we maybe call the more cultivated part of the garden. That's right. The display garden and collections are mostly in that area. And then as you come through the deer gates, it becomes uh, more of a transitional area. Yeah, um, we just recently added a little section over here to our left of um, uh, more native plants for our native plant garden and um, have been working on the display labels so you can really see how to use native plants in a, in a cultivated garden. Yeah, we were doing some work in this area um, while the trail was also being repaired, um, which was due to a grant from the Community Foundation. Um, and then you can see in this area, we also have this nice seating space. So like we have a nature journaling class that comes here and um, and they can come to this space and do their nature journaling or, or the tourists can come here and sit and talk. So we've just walked past a, a, a nice opening view of the ocean. Now we're back at a crossroads of the North and the South Trail together. And right ahead is a big field where the, you've got lots of events throughout the year. We have a couple of events. Art in the Gardens is the biggest, which is the first Saturday in August. Actually, first Saturday and Sunday now. We've changed it to two days. And... Um, that's really the biggest event. Lion Song, which is not really at all one of our events. That's the hospital or health foundation now. They also use the event one. And don't you have other kind of physical activity events, like maybe yoga and other things? Like oh, that? yeah. And actually, yoga takes place on the event one. Um, that's going to be Sundays, probably start in April. And um, the nature sketching we already mentioned. We also have found that people since the pandemic... Instead of just doing a walking loop, they actually come and spend time here. So you can see people picnicking at the, at the benches there, reading books, just really relaxing. As a matter of fact, I came out one time and there was a woman who'd put on some music and she was just dancing around and having a good time. That's great. People use the space for all kinds of things. Okay. This is also the, the um, event lawn and this general area is also a great place to find mushrooms and we do mushroom classes and mushroom walks in 
the winter time, um, which are one of our most popular events. Um, while we aren't encouraging people to go off on their own off trail, um, we definitely are encouraging people to keep their eyes open and look closely and see all the variety of mushrooms that we have. Great. So now let's go head west out towards the ocean. All right, now we're uh, entering the, the westernmost point of the, of the town gardens, and it's, it's pretty natural out here. And you've got two options right here to go look at the ocean. One, and I think it's great on a rainy day or, you know, overcast, is, is your little tiny cliff house. Um, yeah, the cliff house has these has big glass windows that just face right towards the little cove on the, on the northern edge of the garden. It's really an awesome place to sit. It is, and a lot of people, um, you know, there's some people who especially come here for it. You know, and then there's other people who miss it all together because they don't realize it's there. It's tucked away a little bit. Yeah, it's pretty subtle. I mean, again, I think it's a great spot when it's uh, a rainy day or maybe really windy. Yeah. But if it's a nice day like today, I think the better spot is just to the west of it. <laughs> a little trail you have that runs north from the west of the cliff house. And then you've got two or three little hidden benches over here. Just listen to those waves. It's really relaxing. Right now we've uh, left the um, kind of natural headlands area, and we're walking uh, past the um, event lawn. Right, and so we're going to make our way kind of on the backside to the vegetable garden. Okay, so we've now just entered the, the uh, vegetable garden, fruit garden, and um, uh, along with some some dahlias and other flowering plants. Um, what what do you want people to see as someone who's worked here in this garden? Oh my gosh, there's so much to see. Um, I guess one of the things that I really love about this garden is that you can walk right into the little small greenhouse and you can see how the plants are being propagated and sort of see them through all of their stages of life um, in the vegetable garden. Another really kind of awesome sort of newish addition is um, the cut flower garden, which is down towards the farmhouse. So if you kind of continue on a little farther, you can see all the cut flowers that were growing and they're also alive with um, pollinators and birds at the end of the season. So we were looking at a number of raised beds, maybe two boards high, maybe, I don't know, close to two feet off the ground. Do you have to deal with, uh, say, gophers with a mesh underneath? Or, I mean, what are some of the practical issues that you have to deal with uh, when you have a vegetable and fruit garden? Um, yeah, gophers are definitely a practical issue. Um, we do have raised beds and beds in the ground, and the raised beds have gopher wire on the bottom. Um, I like both for different reasons. Um, gophers are definitely, you know, like our biggest pest, I would say. You're calling all blue herons? Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Owls, <laughs> snakes. Okay, let's let's walk through the garden. Okay, so we're seeing some of those apple trees that you talked about. Some of the, the larger, I'm guessing, some of the older apple trees. Where are some of these smaller apple trees that you, you mentioned that uh, people might fit into a, a, just a, a little patio garden? Yeah, the um, columnar trees just line um, that main trail that we just entered in from the... Um, event lawn and you can really see how they can squeeze into a tiny little space yeah and so they still yield a decent number of apples and you can yeah. probably get two or three kinds 
yeah. varieties? Yeah, um, more than two or three. I mean, here we have uh, seven or eight different varieties in this lot. Yeah. Okay. So they are among the fruit that you have, but it looks like, again, a lot of what you have in, in here really are vegetables mostly. Um, what are some other fruit that you have? I mean, I'm, I think you have some strawberries, at least seasonally. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we definitely, we have strawberries, we have raspberries. We have ground cherries. We have ground cherries. We have apples and plums and pears and... Um, Gosh, what am I missing? We have like a, a some really interesting and rare fruits, like the uh, Chilean guava berry. Oh which, yeah, the kiwi. And the kiwi, yeah. Yep. Which people definitely are surprised that we're growing that here. Mm -hmm. As you take off your sweater, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's exactly. surprisingly warm here I right now. I was wearing it on the block, but not now. <laughs> okay, now we've uh, entered the sort of the. I don't know, the easternmost edge of the cottage garden, and um, we've left the vegetable garden, and, and now we're kind of in this transitional spot between, with some picnic tables, some really, um, I don't know, artistic, funky cottages here, or sheds, sheds, yeah. sheds really, with some picnic tables. And then you were mentioning that this is uh, the original, I don't know, yeah. homestead of the Parrish family? Um, yes, it was, but it is, we are on Pomo land. So the Parishes came in what year? Oh, late 1800s, yeah, um, and the farmhouse that they lived in, we've recently renovated into an education center, um, so it has a really nice, big, biggish room for yeah. um, for our workshops and classes and, and sometimes other events to happen there. We have annually, we've been doing a big kind of, um, I don't even know what's called, in the old days we called it a bio blitz, but it's a family activity where they have all kinds of uh, people here and we talk about pollinators and so forth and this is the hub for that that activity and that's coming up in April again right and we're focusing on pollinators I think so how does that work are, are these uh, workshops for people who are already members are they for members just community members or how does that work it, it's both the members get a, a good discount but we, we're open to the community a lot of the classes fill up fast and I and I should say at this point all the information, you can find all of it on our website. We have an amazing website. So if you're wondering about these things, like when things are blooming or what class is being taught or when the Audubon walks are, the website's great for that. Okay. And um, I just want to say that, um, so next month in March, our one of the, our upcoming workshops is going to be actually, actually a docent training. Um, so we can, we're going to be training people to lead tours on the garden. Oh, and that, that's something, too, is every Thursday at 1 o'clock, it's very casual, people can drop in, but we have docents that will lead people who want to hear a little bit more about the garden or show them, you know, the paths and so forth. So that's a really great opportunity. Okay. So what we're looking at right here is the Fort Brack rhododendron section, and um, all of these plants were um, bred locally, and... Um, and, and there's a lot of really interesting and unique plants in here. Yeah, this, this area really had a great tradition of nurseries, rhododendron nurseries, um, which is fantastic. So we have that legacy here. Unfortunately, a number of them um, closed when there was the uh, sudden oak death, and they were talking about how rhododendrons could be carriers, which kind of freaked people out. But um, 
it doesn't seem to have been a really significant factor, so it's a shame because we had a really rich heritage of rhododendron breeding. Well, Dan, you were just asking whether this was a, a manzanita, but it's actually a rhododendron, which is interesting. They are related. Um, you can tell by the bark here that you would mistake it for a madrone. But um, the family, the Ericaceae, has a really diverse group of plants. The heath and heathers are in that group. The rhododendrons, manzanita, pieris. There's a whole bunch of them. They're very diverse. So, yeah, good call to look like manzanita. You know, I, just, I, I would say that this place has a really amazing... A community built with all of our staff and our volunteers that are already involved here. Um, I think that you could ask anybody that's here and they would say that the community is a big part of why they love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and for people coming from out of the area, just this is a one-stop place where you can see a, a designed area, good botanical collections. If you like cactus, there's cactus. If you like rhododendrons, you can go all the way out to the ocean. So it's kind of a one-stop, get all those wonderful things. Plus you can bring your dog, which is uh, not common. And um, people are very good about it too. It's a very, uh, very wonderful thing. We really don't have issues with it. But all of those reasons, um, like I mentioned earlier, if you come to the gardens four times a year, you're gonna pay for your membership. And then it's gonna be free to come in, no reservations. You can go to all those other gardens and of course you can become a member at a higher level just because you want to support the garden which of course we encourage <laughs> and then you also mentioned that you have reciprocal uh, entry into other gardens on the west coast and yeah. across the country um can you name a couple that people might be interested in, in visiting who live here in Mesio county yeah well the humble botanical gardens north of us and they're on the list and um describing arboretum which is now san francisco botanical garden they have the conservatory of flowers Golden Gate Park. So that's a great garden that's nearby. And then further south, we have Ruth Bancroft Garden, which is great cactus collection. Um, Santa Barbara Botanical Garden, which is all natives, very good garden. And Descanso, south of that, which is a beautiful, beautiful community collection. Probably, I'm definitely the best one on the West Coast, but one of the best in the United States. So someone can have their membership here and then just plan their, um, you know, extended weekend trips across California and visit all those gardens. Absolutely. And we also have, the, you know, the reverse. We have people who come from Atlanta Botan Botanical Garden, which is a pretty big one. And, and they come here and then we're very proud of the fact that they think we're world class. And, you know, that's one of the fun things about um, seeing people leave is how happy they are. Of course, you do have the gift shop, and as every good museum or visitor spot has, you go through the gift shop most often when you leave. So what's the one or two things that people um, are, are surprised to see or are happy to pick up? I'm not sure about the surprise to see because I don't work in the store, but we have lots of really good gardening books. The gardeners help pick out some tools that are sold there. Um, of course, there's the other side of things with the gifty things like earrings, beautiful earrings and um, t-shirts of course and hats a lot of things with our logo on it which is actually the most popular stuff is the coffee cups the hats the t-shirts your website shows you're having a contest right now oh yeah design yeah that's great it's part of it's kind of attached to art in the gardens we always have art in the garden t-shirt every year this year we're putting out a call for everyone anyone to design a t-shirt design the deadline's march 24th to get them in and then we'll figure out the one that uh, is gonna win this year. 
and have those shirts available right in the gardens in the store. It's fun. I mean, that's another thing that gets the community involved. I'm going to try it. <laughs> well, that was uh, Jamie Jensen, the garden manager, and Molly Barker, the executive director of the Minnesota Coast Botanical Gardens, on a tour, audio tour of the Minnesota Coast Botanical Gardens. And on the phone with us, we have Jean Mann, who is a uh, board member and volunteer at the gardens. This is KZYX, uh, local Mendocino County Public Radio, and, and we're uh, an episode of Citizen U. Gene, uh, um, any thoughts on, on that audio tour? You might want to turn down your radio. Okay. Well. I, had a little, I had a little bit of a hard time hearing that last part, Dan, so um, I, uh, I, I just wanted to make sure that we mentioned bird watching at the gardens because we didn't mention that. Um, and uh, there actually are over 180 species that have been identified at the gardens. And there's a bird list available for people who would like to come and see if they could check off a few of them for themselves. Uh, as well as the fact that the Friends of the Garden has another event that they do every year, and that's the birdhouse auction. And uh, the blanks for budding artists out there are available in the meeting room. If anybody would like to come and pick one up and decorate it, it will then be uh, turned in by May 15th. And uh, they get a chance to see their, the bidding that goes on for the bird house, for the bird houses. Um, and it was, it was great to hear the tour. Um, there are so many beautiful things, and there's such interesting history. Um, it'd be really fun, I think, for people to be able to meet with a docent so that they can hear about the Parrish family with their six girls and four boys that first started out, um, that were the first uh, people to own the, the gardens area, all 160 acres, uh, where they planted the peas and potatoes. And it was uh, only about 40 acres were plowed, um, but it was all the way to the ocean. And uh, the, Mr. Parrish um, said he had four sons to help with all of that, but he only had two horses. So that's why he limited it to the 40 acres, I guess. <laughs> anyway, um, what else, Dan? Uh, uh, do you have other areas that you'd like me to talk about? Well, Gene, you were talking a little bit about the education programs that are at the remodeled uh, Parish House, the education center. Uh, do you have anything else to, to mention about those programs? I know that on the website people can look and see uh, programs that are coming up, and there's also a newsletter that if people go to the Mendocino Coast Botanical Gardens website, they can in- subscribe to the newsletter and, and see upcoming events. But what can you tell us about the um, educational programs? Well, the, the thing that I, I like most about them, actually, um, is that we'll have a little bit of classroom work in the farmhouse, which is always really great. There'll be displays many times. Um, our mushroom expert um, brings all kinds of examples. But then, but then it's not just uh, classroom work. Um, and there's always field work then, too. And so everyone goes out and um, gets to see examples of whatever um, uh, the topic has been. I've had some wonderful workshops uh, about pollinators and uh, the, the bumblebee workshops. Uh, it's, it's, uh, they're all really um, hands-on uh, and then getting out in the gardens and seeing examples. Um, Mario Abreu that did uh, our mushroom uh, work 
showed examples out in the field, which which was really fun, as well as talking about them. And you know, you, when you were uh, in, in the vegetable garden, I was reminded of the fact that um, some of the apple trees uh, were um, early, early on. Um, I spoke with a descendant of the people that owned the gardens, and um, she told me that uh, that some of the apple trees that were there um, were from uh, Mr. Parrish and his work with Luther Burbank, um, and in fact, the original Gravenstein. Um, it's reported in our, our history information, too, that uh, the, grand, the granddaughter um, went to see uh, Mr. Burbank and tasted this thing that he was working on that was a cross between a peach and a plum, which, believe it or not, was the first nectarine. <laughs> so anyway, uh, but, you know, I could go on and on about the history part, too, which really fascinates me. And, and, and that's related to the education program and some of the workshops because the docent training that uh, Molly mentioned that's coming up uh, has a lot of that history and a lot of that information, as well as going out with the docents on their tours. Uh, birding, you know, um, I've mentioned that again, but I think it's really, really an, an important part. It's a natural environment. The collections are wonderful, and, and they're so vast. Um, and many of uh, the things that have started there were from people in the community who had donated um, uh, the beginnings of some of these. At any rate, it, there's, there's a lot to see. One other thing that I wanted to, to remind myself to mention is that, um, of course, there's many, uh, there are many advantages to being um, a member, um, I was said that with you know you don't have any reservations. You've got an hour of your own um, before uh, the general admission, but uh, just being at the gardens, um, there's there's uh, a, you know I encourage people to come and be there. The reservation system makes it easy. Uh, and it assures you of a parking place, and it assures you of not having a crowded gardens uh, because it's, 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 uh, the, the numbers are kept down. So even without membership, making your reservation and coming to the gardens is a, a great experience. Well, Dean, one of the things I'd like to mention is the fact that the Botanical Gardens is is run with tremendous volunteer support and with two different nonprofits, as you pointed out. There's also the Friends of the Gardens, uh, two different nonprofits that really operate the gardens. But again, it's actually owned by a government agency, the the land. Uh, the California Coastal Conservancy purchased much of the property that was donated to, then transferred to the Mendocino Coast Recreation and Park District which is one of two recreation districts in Mendocino County, Brook Trails being the other. And that agency really has very little money in itself. These gardens are really made possible because of the donations from community members, not because of the tax base from the Recreation and Park District. And it's really the nonprofits that, that, that run it and cultivate it with the volunteers. And I, I, I kind of want to shine a light on this because... We have so many parks in Mendocino County. Sometimes they're owned by school districts. Sometimes they're owned by cities or, or special districts. Or in, actually, the county owns six parks around the county that are not terribly well known. But but they 
if all of these parks could could benefit from volunteer efforts to improve those parks to uh, make improvements to those parks and 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 if all the parks could get you know a fraction of the love that that the Bendison Coast Botanical Gardens gets uh, you know, we would have much, much nicer parks in Mendocino County uh, because the, we just don't necessarily have the tax base to, to, to pay for government employees to be maintaining these facilities. And I know the, the gardens doesn't quite sound like a park, but it, it really is a different kind of a park, but it is a park and it's owned by a public agency. Um, any thoughts on that, Jean? Uh, you know, I wanted to put in a plug for uh, the Red West Coast Senior Center also, um, their garden is just in the early developmental stages, and uh, it's a wonderful opportunity for volunteers to come and help out there, too. So a little little commercial there for the Redwood Coast Senior Center. Exactly. That would be another example. So the, Minnesota Co- the Redwood Coast Senior Center in Fort Bragg is on, I don't know, maybe a half an acre of land that's owned by the school district. And they have a 99-year lease, and they've they're in the process, the middle of redeveloping a very large vegetable and and just a decorative garden in the front of the senior center, fronting onto Harold Street. So, if anyone uh, wants to apply their uh, their gardening skills to that garden, I'm sure they're looking for volunteers to help out with the the garden plan they have for that renovation. But opportunities like that, uh, I'm sure, exist in every corner of Mendocino County. Uh, where there where there's public land, where there's a park that that needs some uh, extra attention. So, Gene, we've got about three more minutes. Uh, uh, any, I know that one one thing that was mentioned on the tour is that there's a, a a poster contest, an art contest for the logo of the of the Minnesota Coast Botanical Gardens, and I think that if people go to the website, they can see that that runs through deepened about two-thirds into the month of March, and that will be then used as the poster for the Art in the Gardens this year and, and for T-shirts and that kind of thing. So is that something that they do every year, or is that, or is that something that just started up this year? Yes, go and ask everybody go online and find out about that. It's uh, the T-shirt design contest, and uh, there's information on the website about that. Um, again, those uh, all these budding artists that we have out um, in our area, um, professional as well as amateur, um, the birdhouses and uh, the t-shirt contest are great opportunities for some fun for design. And Dean, I think they also sometime in April there's going to be the an, uh, the annual gardens uh, art. Uh, yeah, garden sale where they sell uh, plants, uh, and they're, the first day of it I think is usually on a Friday where mar- members get a sneak peek at the at the plants and can buy them at a discount. And then the following Saturday and Sunday I think it is that the the plant sale is for the rest of the general public. Have you do you know if they've selected a date for that in April? Well, maybe maybe that date's not been selected yet, but it'll be in the month of April, and uh, it's it's a great annual plant sale at the Minnesota Coast Botanical Gardens. As, as mentioned during the tour, they have their own uh, uh, wholesale nursery where they're develop- cultivating their own plants. Other plants are brought in from uh, wholesale nurseries. So, Jean, just sort of final words. Um, 
any any final thoughts in the last minute here of of uh, how people um, any final thoughts on the Mendocino Coast Botanical Gardens and the volunteer opportunities there? Just it's a, it's a wonderful place to be. Um, the when you mentioned the nursery and the plant sale, uh, you have to know too that there are some wonderful um, nursery staff there that are so knowledgeable about the plants and what grows here um, and, and how to support uh, good plant, plant uh, cultivation. Yeah, so there's just a lot of really great resources. Um, I'm proud to be a part of it. Well, thank you, Jean, and thank you to Molly Barker, the Executive Director of the Botanical Gardens, and to Jamie Jensen, the General Manager, uh, Garden Manager, for uh, leading us on a tour behind the scenes of the Minnesota Coast Botanical Gardens, and I hope everybody listening enjoys this the springtime and the summer and the whole year and gets the chance to visit the botanical gardens uh regardless of where you live in mencio county it's it's a it's a great way to spend at least part of a day and actually it's a great way to experience all of the seasons of mendocino county on the mendocino coast thank you very much this is citizen U, a program on mendocino county public radio kzyx yeah. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.